Bibles to Proverbs 3. We're going to be reading uh, verses 13 through 26 together, finishing out chapter 3. And then in the subsequent weeks, we're going to like speed up and, and combine some chapters and get into some very practical topics in, in all of the Proverbs. But today, uh, we're continuing on this idea of, of wisdom. Why bother with wisdom is really the title of, of my sermon. We're going to read verses 13 through 20 through 35 together, so finishing out the chapter, and uh, you can read them along with me. Let's read together. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Father, bless the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series in the book of Proverbs. We're in it all the summer, and our goal is to get wisdom. And that really is what Proverbs professes to do. It professes to, um, to lead us to wisdom if we would just heed what it says. Uh, I mean, what is wisdom? Uh, very simply, wisdom is the skill of, of living life. That what, that's what Proverbs uh, wants to do for us. It wants to help us along with a skill. Um, and when you think about that, that's pretty cool. That means if you're here today and you have, you know, you're just clueless about some things in life, it's saying that you can get wisdom. It's almost like, a, like a, uh, learning something, something mechanical. Uh, if you get a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of understanding, maybe some mentoring, some tutelage, uh, repetition, uh, availing yourself and just doing it over and over again with the right tools is going to lead you to the thing that you're actually tr seeking, trying to get. It's like that with wisdom, and that encourages me. Um, now, we're, we're trying to get wisdom uh, not just from you know, a book or, uh, or in, in regards to anything 
um, unspecific. We're trying to get wisdom from the Bible. And in this case, we're trying to get it from the book of Proverbs. And so it's, under, it's important to understand what a proverb is. What is a proverb? I like to say it's, a, it's shrunken down truth. It's a parable, except it's not just you know, a whole paragraph. It's 10 to 15 words that are conveying a truth that, for our purposes, are, are memorable, repeatable, and, and portable. That really, in, in essence, is what a proverb has been for us. Um, if you've been paying attention so far, the things that we've covered in Proverbs don't actually meet that, that, that exact standard. Um, in the first three chapters so far, really the first nine chapters, this is a pretty coherent argument. Solomon is, is firstly uh, introducing the book, telling us why he's written it, that we might fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And then he begins this long introduction that goes like 10 chapters long, where he's commending wisdom to us, commending it really to his sons, but we're receiving it as divine guidance because Solomon was divinely given wisdom. And so uh, these first nine chapters are kind of an introduction. It's not until chapter 10 that we'll get to um, in three weeks, we'll get past chapter 10 in about three weeks, that we see the short, pithy sayings that most of us are familiar with from just normal literature as to what a proverb is. And so it's, it's, I think it's an appropriate question to ask. I mean, what, I mean, what's Solomon doing? Why is he taking so long to actually get to these short, pithy sayings that are proverbs? You know, every verse really giving us some nuance about the life that we live. And I think the, the answer is Solomon knows us. I think he knows humanity. He knows human nature. And God made him wise enough to be observant enough that um, he knows that people like us, uh, although we desperately need wisdom, we don't really understand the value of it such that we would pursue it like we're supposed to. And so he's spending about nine and a half chapters just like cramming it, you know, in, in various ways with a coherent argument for his young sons to, uh, to help us uh, sort of get it, you know. And um, unfortunately, we're the kind of people, I'm the kind of people, I'm not going to subject you to what, you know, like, the people, the kind of person I am, but I know you're like me. You are. Hard-headed. You need to hear things more than once. He knows that we need this. Um, in order for wisdom to, to like, like, jump on us, uh, we need to hear it a lot so that we understand its value and pursue it like we should. Uh, I've said this a couple times. When I was a young teenager in high school, I worked at McDonald's, and I was proud of that. So if you hate McDonald's, don't, talk, don't tell me because I don't really care. <laughs> so check it out. I started out as a cashier, and uh, I mean, this is the 1980s. So the minimum wage was like $3.10. I thought I was making a lot of money. Um, and I got good. I mean, I was only working 10, 15 hours because, I, obviously, I was a high school kid. In the summers, I could work a little bit more. But, I mean, I became a, a good worker. They put me in a drive-thru because I could handle the, just the craziness of drive-thru and still manage to be pleasant and, you know, not, not lose the money that I was taking in, all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I can remember getting my first raise. Maybe, uh, I don't know, it was a quarter later, I got a evaluation, I got, I got a raise, 10 cents. I'm like, yes! <laughs> and then six months later, because I, you know, I was like getting it. I was like, I was a good worker at McDonald's. They wanted to make me a manager. If I hadn't gone to West Point, I would have been like, owning the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm serious. I was on my way to owning a McDonald's. And so I got a 15-cent raise. It was like crazy. Um, I was making a lot of money. Of course, you know, as a high school, that's what I thought it was. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, but those $80 to $100 checks that I got every couple weeks, I did what a high schooler would want to do with, with money. My dad had, uh, remember I told you my dad had let me use his Triumph Spitfire, and then it got vandalized, and he took that back. But he got me this 69 Volkswagen Bug, and uh, I'd suit that thing up. I got like two different size wheels. I got the interior redone. Um, I got this booming, uh, you know, my, my, my dad's trying to for the, the stereo system got stolen by the vandals because I parked it in the wrong place. I got this nice stereo system. I mean, it was a nice VW Bug, and all, my buddies and I, we drove all over the place with it, just like hanging out, doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. Um, so I did, I, I know I bought that. I, I think I bought some clothes. Uh, I mean, I had play money. I, I, the things that you have to do in school, my parents didn't have to do that for me because I had the money that I needed to do that with. But more than that, I had play money. Um, I was never one to, uh, be quick to spend my money. Um, I, I mean, I got my check, I would cash it, but I wouldn't spend it all the same day. Uh, except for though that, you know, upgrading the interior and the steering system from uh, the VW book my dad gave me. I couldn't tell you a thing that I bought that, you know, that lasted with that money that I had. Um, I surely don't remember saving any of it. Uh, and as I look back, probably the truth is I squandered a lot of that money away, just frivolously, being a young teenage high school student just wanted to have some fun because he had money. I didn't value the, you know, the little bit of money I was getting in. Imagine if I had some financial advisor that came alongside me and just guided me a little bit and had simply told me that if I put that money away and invested it, that it would be worth five times as much if I just like stuck it in something and didn't touch it. I mean, think about that. So if you're in high school and you're working, do that with your money. Um, that, that relatively puny amount of money, all these men, I can't tell you how many years ago I graduated from high school, but it's been a lot. If I had just stuck all that money, just half of it, into some kind of investment strategy and not touched it, that puny bit of money would have been thousands of dollars and it would still be accumulating. It would definitely be more than, uh, than what I started with. Um, chances are, even if some financial advisor had come and told me that, I don't know if I would have done it. I probably would have just spent it. Y'all would have, too. Um, it would take me until I was a lieutenant, um, and this older officer coming alongside me and say, hey, all right, you're young, but you need to start thinking about some stuff before I understood the, you know, the, the process of, of financial investment in my own life. Uh, you know, sowing into the kingdom of God, uh, saving money, and also investing. And, you know, I wish I could go back and, and do that, but I can't. Um, but here's the deal. Wisdom is the same way. Unless at some point we, like, jumpstart uh, the process, then you'll undervalue wisdom all your life, and you'll always be scampering, trying to um, learn the things that God is trying to teach you about life. Uh, more than that, you won't get serious about pursuing wisdom, which God is really adamant that you do. And really, in our text, that's what Solomon is doing. He's trying to help us really learn four things about wisdom. The first thing is 
what wisdom is worth. Verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You guys ever watch the, uh, the show Antique Road Show? I don't even know if this comes on anymore. When, uh, when Larissa's going to get mad. When we got, first got married, her parents, like, you know, this was back before Netflix. I mean, we, this is like in the Blockbuster days. Any of y'all old enough to remember Blockbuster? So check it out. You didn't, you, didn't, you know, you either went to the movie theater or you went to Blockbuster. Her parents didn't do that, all right? They just watched TV. And so one of their favorite TV shows was the Antique Road Show. We'd go visit them, or they'd come visit us, and they're going to sit on the couch and watch Antique Road Show for a couple of hours. <laughs> so, um, so Antique Road Show, for those of you that are too young to remember it, it actually started in, in the UK. It was a show that you could bring your relics to, uh, to this show, and they'd have appraisers that would come and basically tell you the value of all your old, decrepit, like this stuff that's laying around in your house. Uh, and the show became so popular on TV that it spread to other countries, uh, namely which we got the show in America. So imagine that your grandmother has this piece of jewelry that she bequeaths to you uh, at her death, and you get it, and I mean, you look at it, and it's like hideous. It's like so ugly, you would, you would never think to wear this thing, and you, because your grandma gave it to you, you don't have the, the, you know, the wherewithal to throw it away. You shouldn't. It's your grandma gave it to you. But you do throw it into a drawer, and you forget about it. But then the antique road show comes to your town, and it's like all this like buzz about it, and you're like, well, I got this. Let me take it down there. And so um, you go to the show, and because it's being taped, I mean, there's a whole lot of you know, hoopla in, in regards to it. And so it's your turn to go up, and you bring this, this ugly, hideous piece of jewelry to the, the jeweler there, and he looks at it, and then his eyes like wide, it's like bulging out, of his, <laughs> bulging out of his head. And he goes in the back, and he comes out, and he gets this, you know, one of those like diamond eyeglass things they use, and he looks at it, and his eyes get even bigger. He goes out. He comes back, he gets a, another one of those eyeglass ones. One is going to like zoom in a little bit more. He, he zooms in, checks it out, and then it's got a computer right next to him. He taps in some stuff. He's like looking back and forth, tapping back and forth. And he's like, I don't believe this. You have one of the rarest jewels that's ever been made. It was lost, and now it's found, and it belongs to you. This thing is priceless. What would you do? I mean, if... <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. If, if you're a Pentecostal Christian, I'm like, you're like dancing, like jumping up. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. He has blessed me. I deserve this. I mean, you're going to do something, right? At a minimum, you're not going to throw that jury away. You're going to uh, go to a bank, get a self-safe uh, deposit box, you're going to do something to protect that, or, or perhaps, if you were me, you would go and find a very, very um, reputable place to sell that thing. 
Yes, and you would do something kind with the money, like go buy you a house or a, you know, some car that appreciates by thousands of dollars after you drive it off the parking lot. <laughs> In any case, that jewelry has just become far more valuable to you than it ever had before. That's what Solomon is, this is what Solomon is doing. He's like saying, guess what? Somebody has bequeathed you something that's of inestimable value, and you have no idea what it is. You don't know what it is. Uh, and he tells us a couple of things. First, he says that wisdom enriches everyone who finds it. Verse 13 and 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Blessed for, those, for all of you that wants God to make you happy. Like, I mean, God, you just got to make me happy, make me joyous in life, make everything all right. This is what he says. You look for wisdom, you're going to run into it, and God's going to make you happy. Amen. Not only that, verse 18, those who hold fast to her are called blessed. This is the same idea of Genesis 2.24, that a man is supposed to leave his father and his mother Hold fast to his wife. It's like, uh, grab hold, don't let go. It speaks of eternity. It's a beautiful picture. He's saying, if you seek for wisdom, God's going to give it to you. It's going to bring joy to your life, and it's going to be a joy that's eternal, a blessed eternality as you hold fast to wisdom. The focal point of this text, however, is uh, two little words that we see in, in verse 13, the one. Guess what Hebrew word that is? It's the word Adam. Blessed is Adam. It basically means mankind or the man. This means that any and everyone that, that seeks for wisdom is going to find it. And it's, it's, not, it's not available to those who are uh, perhaps going to be more intelligent because of their DNA or the privileged few. It's available to any and all that simply Seek it. And that's the good news. Because we're likely to undervalue wisdom, he tells us how much wisdom is worth. It's, I mean, how much is it worth? Verse 14. He says, wisdom is more profitable than you can imagine. It's a better investment than silver and gold. Verse 15. It's more valuable than precious jewels. He said, you can have all the gold, all the silver, all the diamonds, all the rubies in the world. And of course, these jewels are extremely precious and expensive. Why? Because we got to go search for them. We got to dig. We got to labor hard to get them. And when you get them, they're precious because they're so hard to get. But he says, the profit and the value of wisdom surpasses any of that stuff that you'd ever find and get a hold of. But he doesn't stop there. He actually says more. He says, wisdom is of great value, great worth, also because of what it offers. Verse 16 to 18. Notice that wisdom is personified as a female. God doesn't give us um, any reason of, of why he decides to make wisdom um, of the, the lady in particular. Um, I would tell you, practically, Solomon's talking to his boys. I mean, so it just makes sense. I mean, I'm trying to encourage my boys. I'm going to make her a fine lady. You, you go, go seek wisdom. Go seek a fine lady. Ladies, before you get too big-headed, in chapter 9, Solomon's going to say that not only is wisdom a lady, but folly is a lady, too. All right? So I give you some kudos. Young men, old men, I married my wife because she's way more smart, intelligent, and beautiful than I, than I, could, you know, than I deserve. But there's some folly up in that, too. Not, not my wife. No, 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 wait, wait. Not my wife. Was, 
I'm not going to dig myself out of that one. All right. Where am I? Lord have mercy. Here's it's, it's a cool thing. She's got long life in her right hand. She's got riches and honor in her left hand. And so he's saying wisdom is great because she has so much to offer. You'd be stupid not to, I mean, divulge yourself of what she has to offer. Then in verse 18, he he says that wisdom is a tree of life. And this this should give us uh, two very important pictures. The Bible begins and ends with this picture of the tree of life. Genesis 2, we're told that Adam and Eve were told, um, I mean, it's this tree in the middle of the garden that, that stood for healing and life. And then we're told in Revelation 22 that that tree will have 12 kinds of fruit and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And so this, 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 what Solomon is, is telling us, particularly here, is that this tree as well represents healing and eternal life. And we can receive that as we humble ourselves and position ourselves to take hold of wisdom. Of course, later on, we learned that, I mean, wisdom is not just this, you know, this thought. It's actually a person, and he comes to bring healing to us. So, I mean, the first thing that Solomon tries to tell us is what wisdom is worth. What's wisdom worth? It's worth a lot, inestimable value. The second thing he tells us is why wisdom matters. Verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps drop, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. That sounds so poetic, but it means a lot. I mean, God is hearkening us to think about creation. The text tells us that God uses wisdom as a tool in both creation and providence. If you're a public, if you're a product of public school, then I mean you've been duped. I mean, science from public school. Or a non-Christian worldview tells us that the universe just happens, like stuff just like it just appeared, it's like it, it banged together, and there it is. We've been told that we emerged out of the primordial goo of sheer luck. I mean, that makes as much sense as I can't say what it makes more sense. Here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God created all things and the tool that he used. Listen to this. The tool that he used was his own wisdom. And that was all he needed. He didn't need anything else. Flip over to Proverbs 8. Solomon speaks to his sons in first person. Every once in a while, he jumps in and out. In Proverbs 8, he lets wisdom speak. She's speaking with a female voice. And this is what they're like, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. This, this is what she says. Verse, verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had, brought, had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. I mean, how beautiful can you get of, 
a picture of, of the creator of the whole universe and the thing that he used to, to fashion the world that we exist in. You know why the world exists? It, God, in, God created the world like it is so that it would inhabit the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. If you, if you track how he made things and when he made it in the, the six days of creation and then the, then the last day made man, he made all this in a, in a systemic way for us that we could dwell here. And it sort of tracks that out in Proverbs 8. Divine wisdom guided our creator, and it continues to guide the operation of our world today. More than that, wisdom is the principle by which he sustains it. So why does wisdom matter? Because the world wouldn't be here. It wouldn't even exist or operate without it. Um, John Piper was commenting on Thanksgiving. He was, he was, you know, he wrote a blog. You can find it on Desiring, Desiring God. Um, and he's just giving us reasons why we should be thankful. And he happens upon Proverbs 3, verse 20, and he is uh, just giving thoughts about this idea of the clouds drop down the dew. What does that sound like to you? The clouds drop down the dew. Rain. He's giving thanks to God for rain. Listen to this beautiful language of how John Piper talks about rain. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East. Far from any lake or stream, a few wells keeps the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? How, does it, how, how much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water. That's a lot of water. Which is 206,300,160 gallons of water, which is 1,650,501,000. I don't even know what the number that is. <laughs> That's crazy. 280 pounds of water. All right, so I went to West Point, but I'm not smart. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? What's that? That's a big word. It means the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water, start, the water starts becoming water again by gathering a little dust particles between hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands of centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Well, yeah, the salt. The Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. So what about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea. It takes the salt out. It carries it more than 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it on the farm. It dumps billion pounds of water on the farm. The wheat would be crushed if you did that. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. That's what it means by 
and the clouds dropped down the dew. I, I mean, I couldn't be that expressive, so I had to read it for you. It took a long time, but I, here's, here's the point. If God, by his wisdom, can work that wonder in nature, just think what he can accomplish by his wisdom in you. I mean, that's, that's unfathomable that God would go to that intricate of a detail in the nature of the world that he put us in. But he has that same desire, and he gives you that same tool by which you would live in the world that he created. And that's not a mistake. And so, uh, third section, he switches from addressing his sons, uh, he switches to addressing his sons directly, and obviously because this is divine wisdom, he's addressing us. And practically speaking, he asks this rhetorical question, what does wisdom do for our lives? And the answer is, it protects. Verse 21, verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. They will walk, uh, they, uh, then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. You know, we, we live, we're cynical people. We live in a cynical world. And because of social media, because of governments, because of politics, and just, I mean, where we live, um, we feel like we're being oversold everything all the time. And that's a little bit of truth, right? I mean, we do get oversold. But here, the writer kind of seems like he's overselling us uh, on what will happen if we pursue wisdom. I mean, think about what he's saying. He's saying, as we grow in wisdom, God's going to take care of our personal safety. He says, we'll be secure. God will protect us from, from the landmines that sin hides along the journey of our lives. He says we'll be able to go through life and, and even go to bed at night knowing that we're secure, that when tragedies come all around us and all the other people are in panic, that we're going to be in perfect peace, that we, won't, we, I mean, we have no need to be afraid. So here's the thing. How in the world can Solomon, how in the world can wisdom promise so much? I, I've, I see the answer. Hopefully you see the answer too. It's in verse 26. This is a a key verse. It's an important verse for all of us. He says, the Lord will be your confidence. Another way of saying that is, the Lord will be at your side. He'll be your companion. There's nowhere you can go that God's not going to be there with you, walking along with you, experiencing what you experience, and helping you along the way. That as you grow in wisdom, the Lord is going to be at your side. Nothing's going to take place that he doesn't allow and for which he's not helping you, regardless of how you feel that he's you know, physically there. He's going to be with you. And he's saying no matter what happens, you'll have the presence of God to protect you. And isn't this what Paul would say? Paul says, you know, I've been within and without. I've been stranded. I've been aboard ships that have been tossed and turned on the sea. Um, and through it all, through the good times and the bad times, the one thing I'm assured of is that God has never abandoned me, that he's always been with me. And I think that's the same thing that, that Solomon is providing for us here. Perhaps 
Paul gets this idea of, of God being with him from the confidence that he had in the wisdom of Proverbs. One commentator said this, we shouldn't trust wisdom as some impersonal cosmic force. It's not just this uh, impersonal thing that exists out there that we can put on and then take off. He says, we trust Jesus himself as wisdom in the flesh. As we stay close to Jesus moment by moment, he promises to be by our, to be by our side. One more section here as Solomon closes out this, uh, this idea of, uh, just of practical wisdom for us. And he gives us a practical application of, of what happens when you pursue wisdom. And here's what he says. He says, wisdom, uh, we get to see what wisdom creates. And what does wisdom create? It creates a community. For that, we look at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Don't envy a, a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the blessing of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he's scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. So in these final verses, uh, Solomon shows us what real community looks like as we live in, in wisdom, as, as we all try to embrace the wisdom that only God can give, a biblical perspective of wisdom, it makes us uh, not just a real community, uh, a, a community that you would want to be in. In other words, he's talking about being good neighbors. And this is, this is interesting, and it's a surprise that in a book that um, professes to give us short, pithy sayings, that it's also going to give us wisdom on, you know, how, do, how can we all get along? When God has made us so different and diverse and of, of varying interests and um, uh, perhaps the things that we see going on in our country and in our own community now are because we haven't heeded the, the perspective of what the Bible would tell us in regards to getting wisdom. Wisdom creates a community. Look at what it says. Verse 27 commands that the person who wants wisdom never to withhold good from one's neighbor if you're able to help. And the sense there is that you actually absolutely have the obligation to help if you can help. It's not saying if you don't have it, come up with it and do it. It's saying if you have within you good to do, then you're supposed to do it. The help is, is it's not only necessary, it's required from you as a person of God. Verse 29 says, never do anything evil toward your neighbor. It, it says you can't be vindictive. You be, you can't be conniving. And we don't we don't see the other side. We don't uh, we don't see what your neighbor has done to you. We don't see if there's is uh, there's something that they've done that might deserve tit for tat. It's just saying uh, there is no reason whereby you should do evil or promote evil or initiate evil towards your neighbor just because they're your neighbor. Looking a little bit broader, looking at a little bit the, the broader community, verse 30 says, never to make false accusations. And here we get at the, the issue of trust. And the sense here is the, you know, trust is earned um, when you're dating someone. Uh, you, you trust them with information about you. Soon you trust them, you know, with 
you know, with your life as you lean toward marriage, but very much so in any relationship, be it familial or marital or just living beside somebody, trust is earned. And the more you earn it by simply doing the small things and the small things of life, you earn more trust. And it's saying the same thing here. Never make false accusations, which means build up trust uh, with your neighbor such that there will be no need for a false accusation for you to make or for them to make against you. And then verse 31 warns us against being jealous of those who get ahead by getting what, is, uh, what they want unjustly. It says, don't even go near them. If the person is, is leaning towards violence, you have no reason to go near them. Stay clear, uh, protect yourself by not even going, going there. Wise people aren't only wise for their own sakes. They bring, they bring a blessing to the people around them. That's what Solomon is, is encouraging us here. We can make a, an entire community pleasant to live in just by pursuing wisdom for our own selves such that it spreads from us to those that are around us. We're invited to see the worth of wisdom for the type of people that it produces. And so, so think about it. What, what about you? Well, we're um, we're going to turn the corner here. Solomon's going to stop talking specifically about wisdom, and then we're going to get into some other topics. Uh, we're going to actually cover three whole chapters next week, and the topic is going to be the rough topic of, of the wayward woman, uh, adultery. Solomon spends three whole chapters of Proverbs talking about staying clear, his son staying clear of an adulterer. And then it gets into topics of, of wealth and of the right speech and of generosity and, uh, you know, a, a whole host of things that we'll cover all the way through September. But right now, before he gets to that, Solomon is asking us a simple question. He's saying, do you, uh, I mean, do you get it? Do you understand the value of wisdom? Has he said it enough quite yet that, that wisdom would be something that you would even care to think about? Because here's what's at stake. Until we see the, uh, the value of wisdom, we won't pursue it. It's like that, that, that high-cost jewelry that your grandma gave you that's hideous, that you would never wear, but that's, I mean, just it's precious. And you don't understand the value of it until it's put right before you and someone that, of a claim or, or with the, the right tools can tell you what it's worth. He's saying the same thing, that we won't pursue wisdom until we understand what wisdom is worth. And that's detrimental for you, but also, as we learned in the last section of this, this text, it's detrimental for the people that are around you. Perhaps it's safe to say that most of us in this room um, understand the value of wisdom in our minds, but the real question is, do you get it in your heart? Because, you know, understanding up here is great, and it can get you through uh, most of life, but what Solomon wants us to do, what God wants you to do, is is for that wisdom, for that knowledge to go from up here being just good intellect that you use every once in a while when you want to pull it out, till it comes down here and you're living by it. And so here's the question for you. Do you treasure wisdom at all? What's it going to take for you to become wise? Well, it's going to take for you to treasure wisdom. When you see wisdom for what it's worth, that's when you will really begin to pursue it. And that's what Solomon is doing for I mean, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. We're being invited to pursue wisdom. And the first step is to see that wisdom is worth, see what it's worth, and to begin to treasure it 
in our hearts. When we recognize this value, we will really begin to pursue it. So, so you're here, and you don't believe the hype. It's like, all right, so I mean, I know I need a little bit of wisdom to get through life, but I mean, can you really say that wisdom is more valuable than anything else in the whole wide world? And I would say, all right, you got me. But check it out. Here's what Solomon is pointing us to. He's not just pointing us to um, the thought of wisdom. Solomon is pointing us to the person of wisdom. Solomon is saying, Solomon is saying, as Proverbs has said to us, as we pursue God, we're going to end up at wisdom. And as we pursue wisdom, we're going to end up in the person of God. We learned that in Proverbs 2, that as we pursue wisdom, we gain the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 1, we learn that the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. And perhaps what the Proverbs is pointing us to is something beyond what Solomon is, is actually teaching. More accurately, it's not just in intellect or understanding, but it's the someone behind the wisdom. And this is perhaps something that Solomon did, um, may have sensed in his spirit, but he didn't know. For example, Matthew 12, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders of his day. And in verse 42, he says, the queen of Sheba testified to Solomon's wisdom. But Jesus said that she would rise at the judgment and condemn people for not listening to, to Jesus' own superior wisdom. In Proverbs 3.18, Solomon says, Wisdom is the tree of life for those who find her. But we know that Jesus is our wisdom, and he offers us more than the tree of life. He offers us eternal life. Proverbs 3.3, Solomon exhorts us to write his divine teachings of wisdom on our hearts. But Jesus, as we come to faith in him, gives us his spirit to write God's words on our hearts. Solomon was a good king. We learn that from the, the annals of the kings in the Bible. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the ultimate king. Not just a king, he's a prophet, a priest, and a king. Solomon ultimately failed to obey his own wisdom. Isn't that the sad thing about, I mean, the, the, the wisest man other than Jesus that ever walked the face of the earth failed to live out his own kingdom. What happened to Solomon at the end of his days? He died, he was buried as a king, and his son took over, and the kingdom was stripped. It was divided into the northern and the southern kingdom under his son. Solomon failed to obey his own wisdom, but Jesus is the perfect embodiment of wisdom. Solomon lost his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. Later in Proverbs 25, 21, Solomon tells us that if our enemy hungers, we should feed him, but Jesus died for his enemies. Jesus died for us, Romans 5, 8. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So this is what Solomon is pointing us to, not just some impersonal uh, understanding or knowledge that's good for us in the moment. He's pointing us to a person. Colossians 2, 3 says, Jesus in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so when we see what wisdom is worth, better yet, when we see ultimately the, the one who gave his life for us, we'll see that in it, in him, Indeed, is a wisdom that's worth pursuing. I don't think it matters where you start. If you're one in here and you are just clueless about life, you're clueless about your own life and how to navigate the world that you're in, if you pursue wisdom, true wisdom, you're going to end up being at the feet of God. And if you're a Christian and uh, you know that you, pursue, you should pursue God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, as you pursue 
you know, the one who truly died in your place for your sin, you're going to, you're going to be lavished with some of his wisdom. That's what the Bible promises us. And this wisdom is incredibly valuable, both intrinsically, but also practically. It's going to protect you. It's going to make you a good neighbor. But more importantly, it's going to bring you closer to the one who ultimately embodies wisdom and gives you life. And that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you promise us more than, um, I mean, it's a good promise. It's not hype. It's not over the top. It's not words that are, that are trite and that can't be unfulfilled. You promise to give us wisdom. And with that wisdom, you promise to um, not just give us understanding about your world and how it works, Lord. You promise to help us um, understand uh, our role in your world. And, Lord, at the end of that promise is you. It's, the, at the end of the promise of seeking wisdom is the, the God who personifies it, who embodies it. So, Lord, I pray that, uh, that through these words of Scripture, Lord, that you would make us wise, that you would make us wise in all the ways that we need to have a sense of wisdom about our world as parents, with our money, on our jobs, interacting with those uh, that are around us, our families, our intimate friends those uh, that we live around in our neighborhoods, make us wives, wives such that we would live life uh, with the skills that only you can provide. But more than that, Lord God, would you run us into wisdom, the, the, the person. As we seek Jesus, God, make us uh, embrace, help us to embrace him, the ultimate um, reality of wisdom. We pray that in his name. Amen.